Welcome everyone to another episode of Keo Conversations. I'm your host, my name is Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. If you're enjoying these chats, please do leave us a review. They make a huge difference in the podcast world. So we appreciate everyone taking the time to do this. And lastly, this podcast and this episode, all these amazing guests are all supported by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in app to help guide you through your daily mental fitness and reflection. So take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to search is KYO. So today I'm chatting with Darren, who really is an expert with sound and music and what that can do for us as human beings. I'm excited for this because from the very beginning, we really set out with Keo to try to open up new thinking and new practices, uh, not just for everyone listening and everyone participating in with the app, but for ourselves as well. And I, I bucket this conversation and these practices into that topic because just like when we did the, the episode around the energy around the moon and all of that, you know, this is kind of no different. And, and it's something that if you were to look at it um, on the outside with no context, you, you might discredit sound healing or sound therapy, whatever you want to call it. But I think, you know, what I'm realizing through this journey, and, and hopefully this comes through the conversation is, man, there's just so, so many powerful practices out there. And it's so much we don't know. Um, and, and this is, is one of them. Darren, really provides such a great perspective that is uh, backed uh, quite strongly and you can see he's very educated in the space around uh, the science and, and, and how this, these type of practices can really help uh, us on a daily basis. So I hope everyone enjoys it. Please do leave comments. I, I'm really curious, especially when we dive into things that are a little outside of the norm, um, what you guys think. This is a first, this is your, the first time we start the podcast like this. So thank you for, for sharing that experience. And I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every guest to start off. And that is, who are you? Whoa, <laughs> that could be just a regular Thursday morning, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's start with the deep existential. I am nothing and everything. <laughs> well, um, I am. I think the, the best way to find myself is I'm, I'm a spiritual enthusiast. I'm really just in love with whatever spirituality means to, to people. And that's something that I definitely have an opinion on. And, and then I'm also just all about music and particularly the sacred practice of music, the mystical aspects of music. And, uh, and I'm a bit of a, a, a free spirited mystic as well, I guess, sure. you know, really into 
liberating creativity in myself and in other humans and, and finding those beautiful ways that we can really challenge the places that we're blocked to bring more of this beautiful human spirit to the floor. Love it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we're chatting because that's exactly what we're trying to do with, uh, with Keo and through these, these conversations. And just for the listeners, Darren and I met uh, at a live event at um, what was it? Stand Up for Passion, right? was the event title. There's seven or eight speakers, I believe, all sharing uh, seven minutes of their story, uh, which was broken up by a really awesome experience that, that you put on. Um, playing some of these crystal bowls that we just we just heard and i i just remember thinking like we've got to we've got to have a conversation because when we first started keo you know one of the big mandates or principles was like how do we unlock all these different practices for people and talk about them in a language that doesn't scare people away and that's what i really want to do today with you is explain like learn a little bit about your story and like how it all started Mm -hmm. um but then let's let's dive into like, where does all this stuff come from, right? And, and how is it that we lost it, but now we're, like, longing to get back to it, right? That's a good question. So, so why don't we back up? Like, what's, what's a bit of your story um, on how you got into to music, I guess? Yeah, well, for me, you know, I think it's probably, uh, like most musicians, it started when I was a child. But for me, it was, like, a really powerful experience of always hearing music. I just always heard music. And it was okay. kind of this unfiltered channel and it was very detailed music i mean i would hear symphonies and choirs and different instruments and it seems i was in always in the throes of this kind of stream of perpetual music and of course when i go to bed at night and i'm alone with this stream of music i would completely surrender to it and and without any inhibition i started to sing myself to sleep oh wow for hours and sometimes often bang my head against my pillow like a makeshift drum (laughs) And luckily my parents were tolerant. I think they thought maybe I had a mild form of autism or something. And I did this for years and years and years up until I was basically a teenager. And of note as well, it was interesting. Anytime I got sick, I would go to my room and do that. It was like this sort of reflex reaction that this made me feel better and healed in some way. Okay. But I mean, I'm a kid. I didn't really know. It was just like, this is what I do. I feel good doing it. And I, I would feel in this blissful state. I remember at night when I was singing, it was like almost like these angelic choirs streaming through and it was quite blissful. Yeah. Um, fast forward, I'm at like stay away camp when I'm 12, I'm in a cabin with the other boys and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no I one slowly, else is singing. <laughs> yeah, I slowly started to have to like close this down. And then, you know, in my late teenage years, I think, you know, to attract women, I got, you know, a guitar and started becoming a singer songwriter. But music to me was never something that I liked to approach in that like learning chords or intellectually approaching music in that way or even like making a frozen song. Even though I had a gift for gab and writing, writing songs was something that it was always a little tough for me. It was especially when I'd have to go and perform them at an open mic or some kind of stage scenario. I just it was hard to like get into that zone of improvised music that was really my my yeah my true joy so then uh it wasn't until i was actually studying chinese medicine in my late 20s that uh i went to see an astrologer for the first time and she said yeah you should uh you should be doing sound healing that's like your thing actually 
And I was like, sound healing? What's, I didn't even heard of that. What is that? Yeah. And she said, just Google it. (laughs) And it was literally like that. I'll never forget that night. It was like turning the ignition keys on the Millennium Falcon. It was like this hyperspace. And I had had a spiritual awakening in the beginning of my 20s. And what fascinated me about that night of research, because it was really just like five hours of me just going around Google and being like, whoa, sound healing. What is this? This is amazing. Was that it. Sound healing really is this paradigm where science and spirituality converge, and we can get more into that later. Yeah. But that really excited me. And then a few days later, I happened to be invited to a Winter Solstice concert. Someone's playing the Crystal Bowls. And I was just really open to that experience. And I, for the first time in my life, seeing what I then context as the sacred musician. Yeah. He wasn't performing for entertainment purposes. He was creating a healing atmosphere, and I was literally weeping. And then I got my own Crystal Bowls a year later. I saved up, and I went all in, bought a chakra set of seven and just started performing them. And things just started to happen from there on in. Amazing experiences. And then, you know, it's just grown and grown and grown till, you know, amazing opportunities. Like I performed at TED with my friend Alexandra two years ago, which was like amazing to be on that kind of stage. Yeah. And what's exciting, I saw that, that, that performance is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, What I love about that is that it's clearly a sign that the society is you use the word open yeah, right yeah. and it's interesting because you had to start your journey being open right to the right. practice yes. and, and new and, and and i'm doing the same thing and then now you have ted and all these other platforms that are open to this which which is great it's a great sign as we there's a lot more work to do but um it's it's exciting or it's encouraging because it's, it's interesting what you said, right, about, like, even when you went to that, that stay-away camp. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to shut this down a bit. Yeah. And there's so many parallels to that, I find, in mm. uh, in childhood in general. Like, mm-hmm. we start, we our hand isn't lifted as often in answering questions as you keep going through the school system, <clears throat> right? We're more shot. So, it's just, it's like we're born with yeah. this wide-open curiosity. Yeah. And no judgment and just happiness and then we just keep kind of suffocating it until we get to a point where we're trying to get back to that they call that in buddhism the original mind okay interesting and it's pure awareness and they say they really revere children and they actually use the image of uh there's paintings of buddhists like opening up their stomach and there's like a little child inside and okay. they say that's like kind of your essence that is always there but we get cut off from it yeah. Um, so yeah, society definitely, and and I find this is why uh, I think the work that I do in spirituality is so popular now because I think people are wising up that once they become adults, they're like, I want to undo all of the education that I just got. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not happy and I don't have meaning in my life and meaning, as I like to say, the meaning of life is meaning. <laughs> yeah. You need meaning, and the meaning's been a very poor meaning that's been handed to us. So. I find it's like kind of that matrix scenario where people have to like pull all the cords out and then start to inhabit and you know it's it's what some of us are calling the re-enchantment of the world you know okay really like really realize the magic that is inherent in our world that is hard to connect with in cities especially yeah well and here we are you know in in a biz one of the biggest cities in canada toronto yes you know we're we're not in the outskirts or anything like that we're we're in the core mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and we met right in the core mm-hmm. and with a practice that brought a little tranquility and a little bit of silence and you know a, a very different experience so again it's exciting that this is available but where did it go in the first place 
Like, wow. Well, right? that's, like, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question, you know, and in shamanism, they actually term this, uh, stalking, stalking wisdom, stalking information. Okay. It's different, you know, we have a very negative connotation of that word, but in that sense, I've been stalking that wound for a long time. Like what happened to us, you know? And it's been, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy, uh, journey, but you know, in a nutshell, I think, um, basically indigenous identity on the planet at some point became something that, you know, the powers that be the colonial powers wanted to snuff out. And I think that's one of the, the pivot points that's happening right now is that we're realizing indigenous people means earth people. And we're all kind of indigenous. We all actually have an ancestry that dates back. And it's been a fascinating journey for me, um, on the whims of a Mohawk teacher that I had first nations teacher. She actually, you know, challenged us one day. She's like, you white people, you got to find your indigenous identity. You were indigenous. Like, what is that all about? And no one had ever asked me that question. I was like, <laughs> what? Indigenous white people? Like, yeah. never heard of that before. And it, it turned into this, like, literally 10-year odyssey that I've been in um, studying paganism, Europeans, the classical European culture that, for the most part, we, d- we don't even know about. It was really, yeah. really wiped out. Um, but, I mean, this does get into a bit of a rabbit hole in the sense that if you talk to shamans, they basically say that part of the issue is that um, humankind in itself has been kind of possessed by forces that are not necessarily human, that they're spirits and yeah. we need to learn. And that's why meditation can be actually a form of self-defense because I think anyone who sits down and closes their eyes, they realize, my God, whose thoughts are these? These yeah. are all mine. And uh, even though it's a little out there to, I think that's going to be a new paradigm that's going to start to emerge more and more as shamanism comes more on deck about, you know, the spiritualities inhabited by plant spirits, animal spirits, and other spirits like wetigo, which is kind of a broad term for maybe negative spirits. And I think human beings really need to learn how to like be connected to themselves and to their essence so that when they create things, it's beautiful rather than last you know 2000 years has been a slow kind of slide into mm-hmm. and there's beautiful things about western civilization don't get me wrong but there's also like just the sheer environmental desecration of the earth like we haven't still taken full accountability for that and that's you know as Eckhart Tolle yeah. says in Power of Now we're kind of insane as a species there's there's an element of insanity in, a, in, our, yeah. in our mind and we really need to bear down on that yeah so where <clears throat> so what do you think is stimulating the thirst now today for you know you mentioned meditation that's probably the, the most mainstream mainstream thing right now that a lot of people are speaking about or it's at least coming out that you know all these high performing individuals or happy people personally and professionally have been meditating for like 25 years and like, yeah. where, where was that hidden you know right, right, right. Um, and then you know layer on all these other practices even ours like reflective writing or journaling and sound therapy like all yeah, of this uh, stuff right yeah you know, exactly so just from your perspective like what's driving that now well man there's so many there's so many dimensions to it but I think we live in an age of prophecy, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget that. Um, the mind calendar, you know, really got a kind of Hollywood rap with that movie 2012 and all of that. But, you know, I've, I've worked with Mayan elders, one of my close friends, Omrak, she's a, a Mayan elder and she was just here and they actually measure what they call galactic waves of consciousness. They actually okay. believe that our universe, that suns, actually suns, uh, emit solar flares and solar flares are light and light is always been synonymous with consciousness. 
And they believe that suns are literally like alive. They're living mm. beings. And what's interesting is to dovetail this with the science is they've now done all these studies on scientific um, effects of solar flare activity. And they found that it has massive widespread effects on humans, okay. particularly in stimulating the pineal gland. And the okay. pineal gland is very connected to light and uh, very affected by light. And the pineal gland produces DMT, dimethyltryxate, which is known as the spirit molecule. Okay. And it gives you a kind of visionary mystical experience. In fact, when people drink ayahuasca, that's one of the things that happens. They get this huge dose of DMT. Usually you're, you're getting like really micro doses of it. Uh, when you're born, I think you get a hit. And when you die, literally the pineal gland explodes. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so what <laughs> the Mayans believe is happening is there's a spiritual awakening on the planet that's very clear. I mean, spirituality, yoga, you just see the popularity. It's like exponential. For the Mayans, they're like, well, this is basically because the cosmos is is also trying to push something upon us to actually awaken us. So mm. I think there's something to be honored about that. And, you know, 2012 was supposed to be the entry into what they call the ninth wave of, of human consciousness, which is unity consciousness. And so for me, you see it all over the planet, especially in the divisions, because we're in a we're in a phase right now where if we're going to become unified, you have to take a look at where you're not unified. And I think people are looking around, especially in the States right now with their whole Republican Democrat thing. And people are like, man, this is not cool. Why are all these divisions? And I think it's pumping people up to even approach spirituality even even yeah. deeper. But you know, in, in the broadest sense, it's really hard to know. I mean, the 60s really was the springboard, right? The 60s happened, and then all of a sudden the Beatles started meditating. And boom, this huge like east to west cross-pollination happened. Largely the West really hungry for spirituality. And I just think it's it's just prophecy. I think it needed to happen. You know, materialism was not feeding us on the deepest level and people yeah. were getting disenchanted. Yeah. Well, and I think the other to layer on too, I mean, I feel it myself, I think physically we're we're mm. burning out in, in the capacity, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's that, yeah. You know, there's, I, there's burnout. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. I, I never thought of there's, you know, even that's what I love about this journey. I'm always pushed to, right. to think a little bit, you know, wide my perspective. And yeah, there's there's probably a lot more going on just just based there or opposed to just seeing the surface level stuff. Right. right. It's like stress and anxiety and depression and just long work hours and all that jazz. Like that's oh, obvious. Yeah. Huge but cause, huge cause too. But there's there's a little bit of a higher being taking place. And yeah. Call it whatever you want to call it. But I mean, we've all experienced some sort of form that's almost exactly yeah. exactly. But we can speak about that that stuff too because that's also fascinating. How when you look at modern society and what it's doing to your average human being, you know, it's really stressing that person out tremendously. Yeah. And then <clears throat> people's equilibrium gets messed up. And they start to develop all kinds of autoimmune and mental illnesses. I mean, we have a 70% mental illness rate in Western culture. The culture that's supposed to be the shining light of innovation and scientific ingenuity. Yeah. And if you go to an indigenous culture that's been uncolonized, they have like single digit mental illness problems. So it's like, <laughs> what's the true measure of, of success, right? And, and why is everyone so unhappy? Well, it's because we did get divorced from 
the spiritual sense of our reality of the psychology and, yeah and you really start to when you read buddhism you realize like spirituality and psychology are, are very connected like it's it's pretty much yeah. the same buddhism is like spiritual psychology and so you start to understand that meditation has always been one of those like eternal like daily breads that that humans who are looking to really live lives of fulfillment and harmony would would use yeah know? and and now i think a lot more humans are sort of waking up to that in the face of just like everything that's wrong with our culture and i think also the internet has just allowed awareness through technology to really expand you know it's like this truth-telling technology where you can find anything about anyone or anything any subject matter but it's also holding us accountable you know yeah. we're becoming aware of you know what our governments are really up to with the snowden leaks and all these things and yeah. it's like and I think people are just really like shocked yeah. and they're realizing the way I was told the world is, isn't actually the way the world is. And to go through that phase is kind of a dark night of the soul. Like I remember when I went through that, it's terrifying because then all of a sudden you've lost your meaning. And when you lose your sense of meaning about yourself and the world, that's one of the most, I feel like horrible feelings that a human can have. So then of course that horrible feeling is going to motivate them to take the hand out of whatever's burning them and seek a new meaning. And yeah. I think a lot of people are then gravitating towards, you know, the broad sense of spirituality for that. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing is, um, I've talked about this a, a bit, is that there's kind of a decoupling of traditional religion as well, oh, right? Yeah. And But now I feel like what's potentially happening, I've never been a very religious person, but mm -hmm. so I probably fit in this camp. But now... I would say I'm a spiritual person though. Right. Right. So I feel like people are trying to find something to replace that because they've got stuck into the, into that vortex of society. And to your point, their hands in like a, in the hot pot, like get it out of there and I need to find something. And, and I, I put myself in that category as well. Um, and now there's because of technology and just access to knowledge, like pick what works for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, which is kind of neat. And, and it's, it's neat that like your journey kind of started there too, because you know, you, you went on that Google <laughs> vortex search five hours in, right? Which it's true, right? At least. So it's like a cool balance of technology to like, because a lot of your stuff, I mean, you obviously you have albums out as, as well. So people right. can experience the music in that way, but there's, there's still this, this sense, like you can't replace an in-person experience with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Right. Or even this conversation together. So it's just a balance. So I'm, I'm just curious, like, what's your perspective on, on that mix of, of technology and, <laughs> and that's in great, person? That's, that's, that's a thing that I've been really contemplating a lot because, um, yeah, you know, what, what caused my spiritual awakening actually was in my final year of university. I was at Western in a program called Media Information and Technoculture. Okay. Second year of its program being commenced. And this was like 1998 so to 2002, so right when the internet had kind of exploded. And it was a fascinating course uh, or, or program because there was a lot of free reign. And in my last year, I took a course called The Mechanical Flower, How Technology Distorts Our Perceptions of Nature by Professor Timothy Blackmore, which was like my first kind of guru. He was this amazing professor. And uh, I had to write, you know, this essay on um, 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, and, and thinking about, because that movie is very dystopian. It's all about like, what is technology really doing? Yeah. But it's also ushering in this evolution 
um, for us to have this kind of, I don't know if you've seen the film, but at the end of the movie, it's kind of like humanity's been reborn through technology, but also in a spiritual way. But, you know, when I was studying that, I read a really interesting book by David Noble called The Religion of Technology. And not a lot of people know this, but Western science itself has a lot of associations with uh, religious beliefs. Okay. Like Rene Descartes was a very, very Christian man. Okay. And I think, therefore, I am, which was the birth of rationality. When you really read his writings, he was actually like, that was like the ultimate Christian truth at the time because they hated the body, sinfulness, oh, all this filth, the nature, the fallen world. So to, the, to them, abstract thought and going into the mind was like the ultimate. So ever since I took that course, I've been a little suspicious of technology. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's a bias to it, you know, and I think there's also neutrality to it that we can use it in any way. But I think humans have to really look at how are we using technology and what is the real motivation for technology in the world and right now it's a period of like I think shock for a lot of people realizing Facebook is tied to the CIA you know and all these like things and then uh, Edward Snowden's leak about like you know if you've seen the movie Snowden by Oliver Stone it's like horrifying you know they're looking at your camera they're looking at you so I think and then on top of that just the whole thing of social media which is just you know, for me, it's really destroying empathy. It's destroying this because I'm seeing people trying to resolve conflicts online. I'm seeing people taking in in the spiritual realm, taking their spirituality and exploiting it, you know, in the vanity fair of Instagram and Mm -hmm. stuff. And, and there's a clumsiness to it too, in the sense that I think that's just where we're at. And I think it's good to spread awareness. But, you know, when I was up and coming with my spiritual teachers, they were always like, you know, don't share your practices and don't, don't display, you know, it's, this is a very, your spiritual path is very precious, but now it's become mm. almost like spirituality ink. And we're all kind of you know, I'm guilty too. We are, we're all kind of like displaying, displaying, displaying. Yeah. And I think it's just, we, we need to be, I think we need to be careful, especially in the last 10 years with the smartphones, things have accelerated so fast. And I think it's accelerated way beyond the capacity of our sense of ethics to really meet us. So yeah. I think we're all learning the hard way, you know, of like, yeah. oh my God, I'm looking at my phone like hours a day, my nervous system, like, oh, I really need to stop, you know? Yeah. There was no moment where, you know, some fatherly, motherly figure in the government was like, now listen, citizens, we're going to bring this technology out. It's going to totally radically change things. And this is, you know, we, we recommend more meditation <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. to balance <laughs> out the fact that you're going to be in this frenzy of yeah. um, tech, you know? Um, so I think it is, in, in some ways, actually, it's a bit of like, sometimes the poison is in the dose. I think it's like really also waking people up to like, man, I need to be in nature more. I need yeah. to like turn off the tech and like connect. Yeah, we're totally in that phase, right? Yeah. It's, it's I, I agree, it's a, it's a really well way that you put that because it, I think it was, it was too fast. You're right. It was, so it was, it was fast. too fast, and and now we're we're seeing like f- the physical ramifications of that. To your point, too, like we're seeing what's happening with data, and it's a bit terrifying, right? So it's yeah, people are stepping back. I think, and I, like we get the question all the time too, right? Like, because we we you know one of our tools in in our company is a digital journal, essentially. Um, so it's like, well you know, we're trying to combat technology, the issue of technology with technology, 
Mm-hmm. And I always answer that question on, you know, it's just a tool. You know, this podcast, this conversation is another tool. And if mm-hmm. it's our conversation or the questions that you'll leave with the audience that really helps people today, then like we've done our job. Um, but the biggest thing is we've got to create some sort of a balanced or healthy relationship with technology because it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's been a bit overlooked. Like we just took it in. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I, even I think of my own phone, like I've had, it, I'm, I have to go three screens in till I hit the social media folder. Like right. the fact that I have to do that because right. mentally I, it's going to throw my day off if I start my day with bubble notifications. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. crazy to even fathom that like that my phone has to be set up like that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah. People have to be conscious uh, of their use of it. And especially as it comes out that like, you know, a lot of these tech Facebook people are now at the Esalon Institute, like rehabbing, you know, cause they're like, Oh my God, we were making this technology to like distort your dopamine levels. Like it was the intention was yeah. you know, to like get likes and stuff. There's a great uh, gif of like a person snorting like the Facebook like things like okay it's like yeah it's it's true I mean we all do that you post and then you're like who are you checking like it's, yeah and it's just yeah it, it takes it's us funny away. right Almost. it's funny but then when you think about like the essence of spirituality for me one of the big cornerstones is presence <laughs> you know yeah and you're just not present it's like constantly being you're ripping out so part of me is also like wow, there's this awakening happening and then we're getting sidetracked and we really need to get back into that because when yeah. you are present, yeah, you start to bring on a whole other excellence of yourself to the fold and that can't be really intellectually understood until you you know study the power of now or the presence process and, and start to bring that to bear. But when you start to live in presence, you start to realize like you can run at so much more full capacity. Yeah. But when you're always on the phone, it's, it's diminishing that light of awareness and yeah, I mean, it's horrifying walking on the street sometimes. And I, I've seen in the last month, I've seen like five people walk into like telephone poles on their phones. I'm just like, guys, we're becoming stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stupid. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can relate to the presence part. I mean, even just starting this journey, like I just feel um, like hyper aware of, of what's happening or seeing triggers that I probably normally wouldn't have seen just from simply all right, I'm going to take a walk, but I'm going to take a walk without earbuds in, you know, listening to podcasts, you know, whereas before it's like, okay, I have a 15 minute moment where I can walk. I'm going to cram in and consume and learn. Right. 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 And it's been, it's even, even coming up on the streetcar and stuff like, you know what? No, I'm just going to look out the window. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's feel the body, feel the energy. Exactly. And it's, um, it's a process, but you know, when you, you start doing it, at least it's just from my experience, like you feel, feel the differences there. Yeah. And, uh, to your point, like there's just so much benefit to, to doing that. And that is kind of like stage one, you know, because when you start to live that way, whoa, it's like insights, for example, start to happen yeah. a lot quicker. Um, you'll start to feel people's energy. You'll start to have, as the ancient Chinese said it, the virtue of the heart is propriety, which means always knowing the exact time and place to do anything. Mm. And and I've noticed that when I'm more present and I'm giving, I, for, for instance, when I'm having a conversation with someone where they really need to receive some of my feedback on something, you know, they, they've been out of line or something, 
you know, when I'm present, I can wait for that very precise moment where there's the trust and their defenses are kind of let down and they're more open to receive that feedback. And that can take a long time, you know, through yeah. a coffee or a couple of coffees, <clears throat> you know, because we're very egotistical. Um, but presence can open up that kind of uh, power too. And it's also very healing for the body. I mean, they've done studies now that when you bring awareness into the body, it literally amplifies your energy. It amplifies your immune system. I like to look at it as your awareness and your body are kind of like lovers. Yeah. And when we're always up in our head, it's like all that awareness energy is like just being selfishly controlled and, and, and used here. But when you like really put all that awareness and feel your feet and feel your body, after a few, even just a moment or a few minutes, you'll start to feel this kind of delicious relaxation, mm-hmm. this kind of nice kind of plush density of energy that's pervading within and even without you. And shamans literally <laughs> say the human being in higher realms looks like a, an egg with like different layers of energy. Okay. And, and science now has confirmed this too, that the heart has an electromagnetic field that extends 15 feet around us. So really? Yeah. Oh, it's the Heart Math Institute. I don't know if you've ever researched no. that. Whoa. Heart Math Institute. In well, we'll link to that. They are doing next level scientific and they're just specialized in looking at the energetics of the heart. And they're finding the heart has like thousands times more powerful electromagnetic field than the brain. So it's really taking us back to what the ancients were saying that the mind is literally, it's not just the brain. It's a process of like the heart actually. And the brain is more kind of um, maybe the hard drive or something. Yeah. But like the heart or yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see what's being revised in our understanding of things right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you hear it, right? I mean, and I've gone through this too, you know, get out of your mind and, and really get into in touch with your body and right. it's like somatic meditations, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. I, I definitely want to jump into a little bit more about you sure. and you know, you're, traveling around the world doing various events um i'm curious to to know how your own practices are helping you even prepare Mm. for events or maybe you're just naturally really comfortable in front of ted talk audiences but (laughs) but i'm curious like how have you how has your reflection or your practices evolved over the years that's that's a great point so for me um the biggest thing that comes to the fore is is prayer Okay. Uh, because when I'm when I'm performing, uh, and performing is a very kind of awkward word for me, because uh, when I play the crystal bowls and the singing that I do, if you hear the singing, it's wordless, you know. And a lot of people are like, "What is that? Are you singing like Native American hymns or something?" It's like, no, I'm actually using the voice more as like a conduit for emotional catharsis, and and even deeper, it's channeling, you know, which yeah. is, you know. <clears throat> allowing yourself to be a conduit for even different spiritual inspirations or forces to step into you. And, you know, it, it sounds strange, but sometimes I'll be singing and I'll, I'll have an impression that it's not me singing, that there's almost like another spirit itself, another being that has stepped into me. Is and, that the same thing? Sorry to interrupt. When sure, you were, yeah. when you're a young boy. I think night? so. Well, this is, I mean, a big turning point was when I was studying Chinese medicine, I took a course with Dr. Bradford Keeney in transfer, creative transformation therapy. Okay. And 
Dr. Keeney's a amazing guy. He's uh, he used to be an MIT professor, and and then he spent ten years living with the Kalahari San Bush people. I don't know if you've seen the movie Gods Must Be Crazy. I've heard of it. <coughs> yeah. I've heard of it. So yeah. they're, they're like literally hunter gatherers still for the most part. Okay. They've, they've also been wrecked by colonialism, but they're just like super mystical beings, and they're you know, and so he went there and he learned from them, and he learned that. In their healing sessions, they have a shaman, which is their doctor, and their shaman's called a song catcher. And this is because they say that the shaman will go into an altered state of consciousness, usually banging their drum or somehow using some technique, meditation. And then they'll literally go into this higher dimension where they see lines of light. This is what they see. I don't know if you know Alex Gray's paintings. Yeah. But he literally paints the same thing. And then in yoga, they have Indra's web, you know, the lines of light. And it's like, you see the universality to this. So they say this is like kind of the spiritual telecommunications thing. Okay. And like all these lines of light are used by spirits to basically sing, transmit energy and stuff. And the shaman will grab one of them. They call it a rope to God and they'll connect it to their heart. And all of a sudden they'll receive a song and they'll start to sing that song. And that song produces a healing effect to the people. Hmm. And when he was telling me this, our, our class's story, I was like, you know, I was getting chills, you know, and I kind of gingerly put my hand and I told him what I was doing as a child. And, he jumped up in the air and he had this beautiful Louisiana drawl and he said, we've got a live one here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, whoa. And I, I remember feeling like I got struck by lightning in that moment. It was like, oh my gosh, all this weird stuff I was as a kid that I just thought was some weird thing. My parents were like, you all grow it. No, this was actually, I was working on this shamanic gift. So one of the practices I have to do before I play is like, I really acknowledge that I'm going to be this kind of conduit. So. You can even see over there, I have my little prayer mat and I have crystals. Yeah. So I spend about 10 minutes before I perform setting all this up. You know, I have my father's rosary. I have all these things that constellate me to all this deeper meaning so that when I'm performing, it's not about my ego. It's not about like looking good, looking sexy or anything like that. No, it's about me transmitting like really healing stuff for the audience. Sure. So it's like a really, um, yeah, that prayer to me is like essential okay um, but I mean meditation all those things I've been doing for years so I think when sound healing happened they all started naturally like blending themselves into it because when I am performing I, I am also trying to be so mindful you know not ever really wanting the ego to be involved and, and quartz crystal bowls also amplify consciousness so okay. while you're playing you want to be in a state of love of healing you don't want to be you know thinking about your shopping list or spiteful against someone like you have to be careful. Yeah. People will, will pick up on that. And, and I see that, you know, time and time again, when I'm really in the love, you know, those are like the best performances, you know, and I think a lot of musicians can relate as well. I don't think this has to be. Yeah, you're right. I was just thinking that. Yeah. I think a lot of musicians relate as well. It's kind of the art of, of performing, I think, in a way. Um, well, you're, you're in almost that, to use other language, you're in that flow state. Totally, which totally sounds very much yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I probably love the most about it is because I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I have to be totally committed to mistakes, to them now, to you know mistakes in quotation marks because like you start to realize when you're improvising there are no mistakes. It's like yeah, there's just this infinite wellspring of stuff that's coming through. The only mistake would be if you get kind of shy and maybe don't go to hit that note that really wants to be sung. Yeah. But you start to trust more and more. And yeah, I mean, because I have, I have quite a high register now. But at the beginning, I used to just get these inclinations like, oh, you, you should sing up here next. Like, I feel the note just coming. 
And I'd be like, no, I can't. Like, my voice can't go there. And I just start taking those risks and realizing, like, it just, it's like these energies just start to open up my voice. It was pretty remarkable. That's super cool. It's fascinating. Uh, thanks again for sharing that. Yeah. So what, like, what makes you smile every day? Huh, that's a good question. I think uh, I need my morning practice every day. Yeah. To me... That's a consistent, by the way. Like, I think I've interviewed 100 plus people now. And it doesn't matter what, like, industry or what what they're doing. And self-awareness and a morning practice is by far so let's let's hear about yeah well well because like for me happiness is a cultivation it's like a garden you know you got to tend that garden every day yeah and in some ways you know the ancient chinese actually called um true happiness contentment which translates actually as uh natural joy okay so i look at it as like there's a light that's always shining in the heart but like our our life can sometimes obscure that you know so the morning practice for me like wipes that clean and I'm very, at this point, you know, I'm, I, I'm also a yoga teacher. I don't really teach that much more because I've become so involved in this stuff. But, you know, I've studied martial arts, yoga, qigong, all kinds of different esoteric meditations. So for me, I'm always shape-shifting my practice. Mm. I find it does get seasonal. Yeah. But it's also like, I mean, I'll give you an example. This, this winter, I was really into um, the five Tibetans. Okay. It's an amazing yogic practice. And then uh, I sort of got more into Jewel in the Lotus, kind of tantric practices at the beginning of the summer, shaking medicine. And now I'm just like, Iyengar yoga. Like I'm just doing like really basic dialed in. Hatha yoga, long poses. But I mean, there's always, you know, meditation uh, before or after, sometimes both if I'm really needing it. And um, I always do a bit of shaking, you know, just shake the body, even dancing, yeah, music, play some bowls. I find singing is always part of my morning practice too. I'll just tone for like five minutes with my voice. Okay. And that just really invigorates everything. So how long typically or on average, how long is the morning practice? I'd say an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. Morning practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If I don't have time, you know, obviously it'll be shorter, but, um, and I do like when it's warmer going to the park and doing it. Okay. Because I have a beautiful park nearby. Yeah. It's really nice to go there and be in the nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's key though is that, like to your point, your the practice is, is always evolving. Right. Which yes. I've talked about this before when people were asking me about a morning practice. Like, I think what's key is that you is you prioritize some time, and yes. right because it like don't set yourself up for failure that if it's going to become this super repetitive thing that you know is going to annoy you eventually that you're just going to drop right. and don't do that. Right. Like, right. so you're really dialed in in a certain practice right now and maybe next month that's going to be different. But yeah. the key is you're still prioritizing you to start off the day. Yeah, which absolutely. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, I think really self care, you know, I think yeah. everyone should have that because yeah. when you start your day in your own creativity, in your own choices of what this day is going to start with, um, it, it really sets up the vibration for the rest of the day. Like if I don't do my morning practice, I'm definitely off. Like, yeah, you feel it. Same. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's gotta be there. And, uh, I, I can't even believe I didn't have one at some point years ago. Um, yeah. And I find the just being outside is really important. I do, I do when it's warm, my practice outside, I like feeling the sun and that vitamin D 
And I think it's also cool to, I do a little aiming practice most mornings too. Like I just okay. think about my mission in life. Oh, okay. Really, I like the term aiming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's what I kind of coined it. The aiming practice. Cause, um, some of the work I also do is I work with men. Uh, I started this thing on Facebook called conscious masculinity. Trauma, okay. And I work with the four major Jungian archetypes of King, War, Magician, Lover. And in the warrior archetype, one of the noble qualities of that warrior energy that we all carry is um, being able to know what your mission is in life and to keep that renewed almost every day, to keep that focus. You know, because I find whenever we get in a quagmire and we're kind of stuck, having that, that attractor, what they call in science, the attractor, literally that mission will can pull you up. Mm-hmm. It yeah. inspires you, you know? So it's really, especially nowadays where people don't have much purpose you know or sense of purpose it's vague i think um creating that and renewing that each day is really powerful yeah well without it you just feel like you're stuck in this this circle right or this like autopilot mode and like that's when all these questions are like well why am i doing this like what what am i getting out of this right and then it just keeps compounding and compounding so Mm -hmm. yeah so 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 darren i want to get uh i have one fairly big question to finish with but I want to get your reflective questions first um, and that just in case you don't know will land in the app so it, basically these are three questions that you find yourself asking on a frequent basis or during big life changing events that uh. you think would be helpful for, for others and then they'll, they'll be able to add that to their practice interesting interesting okay let me think about that well, I, I mean, I like the idea of what is my mission? Yeah. What is my purpose even? I mean, that's kind of general, but... Um, hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, what is my bliss? Mm. I think is a good one. Yeah, what do you mean by that? I like that. Well, I find like bliss is kind of this term for like highest joy. I think, I think Marshall Rosenberg, who wrote Nonviolent Communication, defined it as like bliss is that joy that you see when a child's like feeding ducks. You know? Yeah. Just like super joyful. So yeah. What is your What is your bliss? I like that. Yeah, and um, hmm. and I like what is your power too, or what is your gift rather might be better okay what is your gift you know in, in Native American culture they call that your medicine actually and they say everyone's born with a medicine and the purpose of life is to find that and give it because then you'll find full, real joy yeah that's why a lot of people are despondent with their lives they haven't been acknowledged for one in their gift and then you know really taught how to give it properly sure well thank you mm-hmm. what and this is the question I want to kind of close with if like what would you like to see with this modern world that we live in and like there's a there's a neat shift that we're experiencing we talked about earlier in the conversation but you know if you had your way and had you know the powers that be um, like what would that world look like over the next few (laughs) few years well, if I can get, because I, I like to think big, and if sure. I can maybe get put in the context of maybe Canada, if that's okay. Yeah, maybe, sure. Which could probably relate to other people in other countries. Um, I, I just think indigenous peoples on the planet really need to be honored. I think yeah. 
the whole idea of indigenous people being in quotation savages. I think we're in a moment now where we're actually realizing that those of us who are part of this colonial system, we're actually the savages. You know, we came and destroyed the earth and genocided these people like, whoa. Yeah. And I would love if there was a moment where we spent like a year reset on the planet. Where it's like for one year, we're just going to celebrate indigenous wisdom. We're going to sell, you know, a few military planes, free up some money. You know, so in a place like Canada, it's like, we're going we're gonna to feed money into like having celebrations once a month, you know, where everyone can join in that's led and curated by First Nations people. And, you know, the CBC is just going to be like pervaded with learning about them and just create like massive healing ceremonies, you know, like let's have some big ass parties. Yeah. You know, living in South Africa right now, they have so many issues with apartheid being uh, removed and now you know the blacks and whites are just at each other like never before yeah it's like well of course there's no like party you know there should have been like a healing ceremony and then a festival it's like that's what they do in indigenous cultures you know yeah so to me it's like we should really have a have a party in it and it should also just be ultimately about the earth like a, a year of just like celebrating the earth you know give a bunch of money out so people don't have to work so hard for one year and let's just like try something like different for one yeah. radical year and then see what happens i think that would be really awesome i love it <clears throat> it's um i i love just the word that like, let's reset the planet for a year yeah um absolutely i think we need it i think a lot could a lot of people would will resonate with that so i mean practically speaking uh i guess everyone listening and, and us like what can you do for the next 12 months to, to help that mission forward right to re-enchant the world to, to re-enchant but but it's you know it's crazy like there's just years and years of wisdom that is out there that we've we've lost right and then we're trying to get back to and i, I agree with you if you just take some time and, and reconnect with that you'd feel pretty good absolutely. i think yeah i think yeah. so too absolutely yeah there's there's so much yeah it's it's not so much about even i mean i love innovation but there's a lot to return to as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. We, we hold a lot of the answers to our own questions. Mm-hmm. We take mm-hmm. the time to create the space and think, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for this conversation. That was great. And um, I don't know, do we want to close things off with the bowl? Sure. So this is a quartz crystal bowl melded with Moldavite crystal, which came out of meteorite. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is really the real deal this is the real deal you you can take a moment anyone listening to just breathe this energy into your heart let this beautiful tone which produces alpha waves in the brain just help to relax you bring you to your essence the best day yet. Mm.